Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 154th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? Doing great, Cameron. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Uh, thanks for thanks for being here. Um, Always great. Yeah. I'll just point out again that you just don't ever give me a real answer nowadays, so nobody really knows how you're I'm doing. I'm just making life tough for you. Yeah. that's Making you think. Mm, make, it's, a, it's a mystery. Yeah. I'm, I'm unwilling to think, so i got to make you do it. Okay. Um, ready for the NFL season to, to get going? I'm ready, man. This is, it, is uh, the Chiefs going to go back to the Super Bowl? That's what I want to know. Probably, I think so. Mm. They're uh, I I don't know. They got to recover from the Super Bowl. Super Bowl was rough. Yeah, but I think I think they've moved on. They're ready to prove everybody wrong. They got that revamped O line. I think they'll be back. No complacency after you know losing the big one. Yeah, got humbled be, humbled yeah. a little bit. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, all right, Kyle. Well, this is a very special episode. Um, any of our viewers and listeners now have seen by the thumbnail and the title and everything, uh, we got to interview former Mizzou wide receiver Bud Sasser. Uh, but before we dive into all of that, we do have a few news items. Um, and don't forget, of course, to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, that's going to be the best way to watch this interview episode because we do have Bud's video up there. Um, and don't forget, you can support the podcast directly on Patreon. And that's patreon.com slash Missouri Sports Pod. Right now, you can sign up at the $10 level or above to to be entered into our fantasy football uh, league that we're going to have this season. We've got a few people at that level already. We want to fill up a whole uh, league's worth of teams. So head over to patreon.com slash Missouri Sports Pod. Sign up at the $10 level. That's your entry fee for the fantasy football league. There will be prizes and it'll be worth your while. Um, Kyle, before we get to the interview, we do have a big news item, and that is the hiring of a new athletic director for Mizzou Sports. Desiree Reed Francois. I didn't know if you were going to try to attempt the name, but that was very good. Good That's job. A piece of cake. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is big news. Um, I think... Uh, I think I really like this hire. I think this is this is very good for the future of Mizzou athletics. I think this hire brings some energy, some innovation to to the program, and um, I'm happy about it. Yeah, um, I didn't. I kind of waited to form an opinion. Uh, kind of wanted to do a little bit of research and hear what other people are saying and everything, because this is a very vital role, obviously, within the athletics part department, and. Um, I have to say I'm pretty excited. Um, I think that it seems to me like the like uh, President Troy and the uh, Board of Curators kind of understand better what they need out of an athletic director. And I think they saw what Jim Sterk's strengths were and how they could use his strengths to further the athletic department. And they just went like, okay, let's find the very best version of that and go full steam ahead. Because, and I, and I think that kind of, I'm speculating obviously, but it kind of makes sense that that attitude would have been solidified around the hiring of 
Coach Drinkwitz when, as we've talked about before, as other people have talked about, Jim Sturt came back with a candidate that the curators weren't happy with, and I don't think the fans would have been happy with either, and they kind of went out and got their own guy or at least kicked the tires on a few other options. And if they are comfortable doing that, and obviously they are, then and they feel good about like the two revenue sports right now, basketball and football, where they are uh, with their coaches. Some fans might disagree with that assessment on the basketball side of things, but I don't think, I think that the people in charge are pretty happy with the coaches that they have on board right now. I see it as them kind of saying, let's raise as much money as we possibly can and throw that money at these programs and see what we get out of these coaches. Yeah, I think the more we learn about the relationship with with Sterk and maybe the Mizzou Athletics Department, um, I think the more we've learned that that was uh, probably they let him go. They yeah, they decided it wasn't as mutual as it first sounded. No, and they decided that they they want they, uh, the the department needed a different um, direction mm-hmm. and a different leader. Some like I said, a different ener- energy uh, fundraising. And not that Cirque didn't do that, but I think that they are looking to upgrade fundraising and somebody that can navigate the changing landscape of college football and college athletics. And I think, I think they made a a good call and just deciding that it was time to go a a different way. And I'm excited about that change. Yeah, I, I am too. Um, I think if you, if for a school like Missouri, for a program like Missouri to be competitive at the highest level, specifically in football and basketball, they're going to have to take some chances and kind of be at the forefront of innovation sometimes. And I think that's a little bit of what we're seeing with this hire specifically. It's, um, you know, regardless of, um, regardless of hiring a woman athletic director, they went in a different direction than Missouri has with previous athletic directors. Um, just in the overall style of, um, a different type of CEO, I think a different type of a different, a person with a different strengths, honestly. And again, I just go back to, they saw what worked really well with Jim Sterk, saw what didn't work as well and just said, okay, we'll pick up the slack on those things that we want to be more in control of. And let's just go all in on somebody who is going to raise a bunch of money and just be the perfect CEO moving forward into uh, whatever may come next for college football. And, and that's, you know, SEC expansion, that's potentially, you know, looking forward a few years, we might be talking about like the death of the NCAA. We're talking about <laughs> paying players to some extent. Yeah. So making a change right now with the evolving landscape of college football and, um, going with someone who you think is going to be at the cutting edge of all that kind of stuff makes perfect sense to me. Obviously we'll have to wait and see how fundraising goes. If that turns into, you know, better facilities and more wins in those two sports in particular. Um, but yeah, I'm very optimistic right now. I think the people in charge like where Missouri's at right now and are just kind of like we said, leading up to the hire kind of trying to strike while the iron is hot and, take advantage of Mizzou sitting in a, in a pretty decent spot. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy as long as coach drink is happy. Yeah. I, I um, agree with you. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's a good point. I, I think we knew Missouri was in, 
a attractive situation where you know i think the major sports the the coaches are, are pretty taken care of uh financially I don't, I don't think that uh we'll be making any new hires hopefully and if it is then hopefully it's because coach Shrinkwitz was so successful he had to go somewhere else so um, i don't know that she's gonna have to make any firings over the next two or three years hopefully but we'll see how it goes yeah um she does have some pretty good experience i kind of want to just uh, go over some of the things that she's done in her career um, one, the first notable position that she had was the compliance director at San Jose State. Uh, she was the associate AD at Santa Clara, Fresno State, San Francisco, and then Tennessee. Um, so she has a history with Conto Martin. It sounds like they have a good relationship. Uh, she was the senior associate AD. Some fans aren't so happy about that. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> senior associate AD and the interim AD at Cincinnati. And then she oversaw the football program at Virginia Tech. And then most recently, she was the uh, athletics director at UNLV. At UNLV. And, sounds uh, good to me. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, she actually received a four-year extension um, this spring at UNLV, and then to peace and out, see you later. Yeah. But she was well liked there. I think they they really liked her leadership and, and were enjoying where the athletics de- department was headed. And um, I mean, their fundraising was at an all-time high, and uh, their football and basketball programs were not great. But I mean, those those are programs that are historically not great. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to win at UNLV. Right. For the most part. I mean, I guess their basketball team has been good in the past, but yeah. that was a while ago. Yeah. Um, no, I completely agree. I mean, uh, I think it was published. She'll be making $800,000 salary. Sounds about right. Uh, as the athletic director at Missouri, but that's, uh, that's what you got to do to play ball. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that resume, I think lines up perfectly with what you would want. Um, I, I think maybe some fans or commentators were, hoping for a power five athletic director experience. Um, people have talked about like big 12 ADs. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think of it more of like grabbing the up and comer more than the, um, established big 12 or power five athletic director, maybe Yeah, kind of similar to football coaches, I guess in that regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think she's like 48. So definitely pretty young. Yeah. Um, and I think obviously the leadership believes that they can make Missouri on par with any of the most attractive programs in the country. Like that's how they have to believe in order to be making some of these moves. And if they kind of project that confidence and are making hires that they believe in, then, uh, everybody will buy in. And I think we'll be sitting in a pretty good spot in a few years. Um, so that was really the biggest news item that we wanted to cover before jumping into the interview. There was some, uh, football camp and practice news. Um, we're just going to combine that with any new stuff for that we have for next week in the news section. Um, before we set up the interview, I do want to mention that we are full steam ahead into the first football game, which is very exciting, but that means If you have any Mizzou fan relatives or friends that you uh, might want to suggest the podcast to, this is a very good time to have them jump on, um, especially if they were fans of Mizzou back in 2013, because they'll really like this interview. And then um, we'll be covering the roster position by position next week and talking about football camp and some of our expectations for players. Then the following week, we'll be doing a breakdown of the entire schedule with our predictions, and we'll do our annual seven-on-seven 
football, a Mizzou football draft competition between Kyle and I, and then we'll be pre- previewing game one, and then it'll be here. So now is the time to jump on board with the podcast so you're not confused about who anybody is or what our expectations are for the season. So uh, when the football team you know, starts off 5-0, and you'll be able to say uh, you're, already, you're already, here from the beginning. You already knew that was going to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, Kyle, are we ready to set up this interview? I think we're ready. Uh, this is Bud Sasser. You know him. You love him. A member of the back-to-back SEC champion, SEC East champion, uh, Mizzou football teams in 2013 and 2014. Um, this was a very fun interview. We got to reminisce. We got to hear some kind of inside info on recruiting and um, the transition to the SEC. Uh, we talked about all kinds of stuff, and we caught up with what he's doing now. Um, I loved it. I think uh, the listeners will really enjoy it, and uh, maybe we'll have Bud on another time. Yeah, Bud's such a, a sharp guy, a good guy with, with such a promising future with all the stuff he's doing, so it was great to, to catch up with him and hear what he's doing. So without further ado, here is Bud Sasser. Here we are with Bud Sasser. Thanks, Bud, for coming on the podcast with us. Thanks for having me, you guys. I'm uh, looking forward to the conversation and uh, just uh, hear you guys' insight on some Missouri sports. Oh, yeah. That's what we're all about. <laughs> um, so you're you're back in Columbia now. Um, will we be seeing you on some Saturdays at the at uh, Fro Field? Yeah, uh, I, I look forward to it. Uh, hopefully, you know, do y'all have some season tickets? Because uh, if you don't. We do not. We maybe we could go in together and get some season tickets. <laughs> we'll be in the cheap seats. <laughs> hey, exactly, man. But uh, yeah, hopefully I can see you guys at the game. Uh, I'll be attending for sure. Nice. Um, I'm not sure exactly. I'm ch- which ones, but uh, I'm, I'm quite positive I'll be at each each home game. Awesome. Uh, so I look forward to it. Look forward to the tailgates and uh, being able to get back out there with uh, some of the Mizzou folks. Well, um, I don't know if you remember this. Uh, you probably do because it's probably a very meaningful uh, time in your life when you played on a church basketball league with the three of us here in yeah. Springfield a few years back. So that yeah. was like the first time we interacted. And uh, unfortunately, there was like a, a good side and a bad side. Uh, on the bad end, you, you were only able to play one game with us. But yeah. then on the plus side is we got to say we were the only team in that league to lose a player to the nfl so (laughs) hey exactly man it was uh that was a great time uh i just remember uh you know love the jerseys oh yeah Um, (laughs) yeah i still i still have the shirt today i'll still randomly wear it around so nice yeah no, it's a pretty. For those who don't know what jersey we're talking about, we had uh, the team name was POTUS. Um, I rocked the forty-five. You know, no, I did not rock the forty-five. I that, rocked the forty-four. There you there go. You go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, we each picked the president to have as our number and uh, the name on the back of the jersey. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. There so, was a uh, uh, no, no controversy there, but yeah. I did rock. The though yeah there was a moment in that game where i guess producer cameron's brother was like our coach for that game or something and he was picking and choosing who was who was playing and i remember this pivotal moment in the game game was on the line there's probably a couple minutes left and for whatever reason 
Cam's brother like puts me in the game and I see you on the bench. <laughs> I'm just like, what? Why is <laughs> Bud on the bench right now? I was like, all right, you're fired. And yeah, I think we fired him after that game, rightfully so. But I, and of course, knowing I should not have been in the game at that point, I think I shoot a three and miss, you know, in a pivotal moment. And I just remember you telling me like, just keep shooting, man. And so you, you were being a good teammate. So uh, that'll stick with me. Hey, just, you know, sometimes you just gotta, just gotta say the right thing, man. Hey, just gotta say the right thing, uplift your teammates. There you go. All right, so uh, getting into some of this football talk, I am, uh, we, we focus a lot on recruiting on this podcast. So um, anytime we get the opportunity to talk to a former player just about the recruiting process and all that kind of stuff, it's super interesting and a lot of our listeners will um, find it pretty interesting. So um, rewinding the clock back to your high school days, can you kind of give us some insight into the recruiting process from a player's perspective, when did it really kick off for you? Um, who were some of those first schools that reached out? And then how did that kind of progress? Uh, yeah, so I think it's it's different for everybody, man. Everybody's experience is so different. Um, mine was just, you know, my junior year is really when it kind of took off. Um, my, I remember the first scholarship letter coming in the mail. Uh, it was from Tulsa, uh, University of Tulsa. And, uh, you know, I just like even to this day, I didn't go there, didn't have plans on going there. But, uh, you know, I'll always remember that moment of just, you know, getting your first one. And, uh, you know, it was it was a pretty sweet deal. So then to kind of get to a point where, you know, they're kind of coming in, you know, uh, pretty consistently after that, it was. also a pretty neat experience because you know i played at den ryan high school so it's a, a powerhouse for for football in high uh in texas so uh they're actually just coming off a state championship from last year so shout out to den ryan hopefully you know you can run it back again this year <laughs> uh so all that to say um it is just a neat experience and then you do it you you know you're you're practicing in front of you know all of these college coaches it's the same as like which gave me that that type of experience when i got to mizzou and then you have uh nfl scouts there so it was a pretty neat experience and uh really it, it shows you just uh just how big the program was in high school that i was a part of that that's what i realized was uh you know just the fact that i got that same experience in high school that, you know, for the first time, some people might have gotten in college. So, uh, but, you know, everybody, at the end of the day, my, my trip, my visit to Mizzou, it was just, uh, it was good. It was my, my mom and one of my sisters came along with me. Uh, it was actually the first visit that I took with anybody, you know, like as far as like a, a parent or guardian or sibling my other visits, I just went on by myself. Uh, so not knowing, I'm a first generation college graduate. So for us, it was just like, okay, yeah, I guess you're supposed to go just get on a plane and go to this school and just see if you like it. Tell me about it when you get back and, you know, kind of yeah. things like that. And, uh, but, you know, when it, when it came to Mizzou, you know, my family wanted to come and they loved it and, honestly because they loved it 
I knew it was going to be a good spot for me. Like I had a great time. Don't get me wrong. And uh, some of my teammates at that point were just, they're amazing people still to this day. So it made it pretty easy for me to just uh, like, yeah, let's, let's do it here. Even though I don't like the cold, but let's do it here. <laughs> did you, did you grow up a fan of any uh, home state schools? Like were you a UT. big? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Texas. I mean, I was every day in practice throwing up the hook'em horns, and <laughs> um, it, it was just a man. <laughs> so I really thought I was going. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I thought that that was where I was gonna be. Um, just didn't work out. You know, it, it got to a point where they they actually called me and told me where I was on their kind of recruiting board, uh, and. They let it, you know, they told me just verbatim, like, hey, there is another guy who happened to be a top receiver in the country at that time. Um, and they're just like, if he decides to come here, that's where that last scholarship is going. We just have to be honest with you. And uh, so that's what we're waiting on. And that guy ended up going there and that that was it. So I just took it for what it was and just moved on. And I just, you know, didn't really care for him since. So. Well, that's a perfect example of the stuff, the kind of thing that we always speculate about as like fans. And um, we always know that there's like, you know, non-committable offers and like there's guys ahead of other guys on certain schools lists. And if they take this spot, you know, then they're going to um, sometimes players that have already committed get cut loose because uh, or they get, you know, encouraged to look at other opportunities because another guy commits. Yeah. So it, it is kind of just a reminder for the fans that like this is not always just the player deciding where they want to go and that's it like the the school has to actually have a spot for you very true I mean at the end of the day there's only so many scholarships and they're going to move mountains for the number one player in the state like yeah and that's that's no shade to any school I mean I'm, I'm talking about my experience I'm not even talking about just like Mizzou just my experience in general, like at the end of the day, that that's just what it is. You know, they, you know, that there's, there's a ranking system. There's a, you know, their recruiting board mm-hmm. and it's like getting your lottery pick, you know, even if it was late, you know, you have to make room and right. you have to figure it out. So that's the uh, kind of, that's just the business of sport. And I think the quicker you're able to, to learn that, you know, you'll be able to maneuver this space as an athlete a little bit more, you know, less, uh, I guess you can say, emotionally attached. Mm-hmm. So when you came to Mizzou, we were still a Big 12 school. So what was that like to, you know, play against Texas, play against that, that team that you that you rooted for your whole life? Yeah, uh, I mean, it was still pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. They came out in the icy white uniform, <laughs> all, all white, and it was uh, – it was just surreal to be honest because it was the first time i was on the field like going like i'm playing against texas like this is this is pretty neat yeah um and just uh just a such a powerhouse you know program in a nationally wide you know program it's, it's hard to just not think about like dang that you know that that's pretty sweet but at that time i was i was still barely playing so you know i was just kind of watching from afar what was it like making that transition or just like as the, from the whole team's perspective, making that transition to the SEC from a, from a player's point of view? Um, 
seeing how we ended up my last two years, uh, that first year when we initially transitioned, I think everyone was just kind of like how I was when we first played UT. I think there was a, a lot of people on the team just excited to be in these types of stadiums, these historical stadiums, um, you know, playing against Tennessee or playing in the swamp mm -hmm. against Florida. Uh, playing against Bama, like, you know, that's a different vibe. If you've never played those teams before for the first time, um, and then it's huge, too, because it was the first time, you know, I think it was the first time Alabama came to play in Columbia. So, like that, there's a whole different vibe to that type of game. Oh, yeah. You know, not even so much about, like, hey, here's the game plan. Initially, here's the game plan. It is okay, there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, trying to just keep a, a bunch of guys focused on the actual game. I think that was a little bit of a challenge uh, that first year. So I did see a little bit of that and it was just, you know, everything was new and uh, everyone's just trying to get adjusted, which, you know, at the end of the day sucks for the senior group. Um, but that's just what it was. And then the next year is like, okay, you know, you win some games here, you're going to play in the, the big time bowls or playing right. the uh, national championship game. So this is the chance and we had the team to do it. So, yeah, that first sec year, there was a lot of injuries. Um, obviously James Franklin got hurt. There was some offensive line injuries. Um, we did find one very interesting game for you in particular though, which was the Vanderbilt game, uh, yeah. where you had a very interesting stat line, uh, one reception for 101 yards and a touchdown because you got credit for receiving yards for picking up a fumble and running it like 16 yards so that's yeah, kind of a people, unique unique stat line people sleep on my stats man. <laughs> yeah you had like an 80 something yard touchdown in that game so. yeah 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 so that that was a that was a pretty cool moment um i didn't even know about like that process until after the game you know, it's like, you know, no one, no one is ever going to do that. I just want y'all to know. So <laughs> yeah. that is a very slept on line uh, or stat line. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it was, that was a cool moment. That was my first, matter of fact, that was my first uh, college touchdown. Mm. So uh, my, my mom actually has that framed at home. So nice. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that was a great moment for me. You mentioned yeah. that 2012 season. A lot of those players were still there the next season. Whenever you were, you were really good, uh, did you did you kind of know like we've got a lot of talent here, but we're just kind of dealing with injuries and like what what was kind of the, the thought in the locker room and all when in that 2012 season? Um, I mean, like like I mentioned, it it was it's just a lot to learn. It's like you're still trying to you know you got guys who were bought in, some who aren't trying to mesh the, mesh the team and get it right. And this is every year. So this isn't any surprise. Every year you have this and you just have to try to make it work. Uh, so that year, I think it just took too long for us to make it work with the amount of injuries that y'all have just uh, brought up. Like it was just everywhere. Everybody was injured, everybody. We had a, a really, really hard training camp that right before that season, I'm not gonna lie, we had to that summer it was turned up on us. Mm. It was like everybody was just trying to adjust to being in this new space and it's like, okay, let's uh let's get this stuff figured out. Um everybody was probably feeling pressure. 
Yeah, for sure. And so then next thing you know, hamstrings getting blown out, ACLs. <laughs> and uh, so, but that was a learning curve for, you know, staff as well. And uh, just a better way of, you know, approaching the game, which at the end of the day, I believe Coach Ivy was the strength and uh, conditioning coach. Credits to him, makes the proper adjustments. I think the very next year actually ends up winning the uh, like the national or getting national recognition for uh, the strength and conditioning coaches or coaches, um, kind of like a this big time award. Yeah, and uh, I, I give so much credit to him because he never stops. You know, he never stopped learning. He never stopped trying to be the the absolute best. And uh, you know, a lot of credit to those those seasons that uh, kind of pushed Mizzou on up the, the pedestal there. Yeah, I, I give it to Pat Ivy for sure. Mm. Dr. Coach, Dr. Coach <laughs> Ivy on it. Yep. Yeah. You want to jump in with 2013? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, it's a pretty big moments for you individually in that season. Um, kind of wanted to uh, take a little drive down memory lane and, and thinking of a couple of uh, just notable moments from that 2013 season. Um, one of the first things that comes to mind was uh, that game against Florida, you're six and zero. James Franklin gets hurt in the game before that against Georgia. It's Maddie Mock's first start, and obviously it looked like Florida was thinking you guys might come out and just try to be a little bit conservative with a new quarterback. But you guys score in two plays on the first drive of the game, and obviously you catch a twenty yard touchdown on the second play of the game. Um, mm-hmm. What were the expectations for that game? Were you guys were you guys thinking that you might? That, did you know you're going to be that aggressive and or uh, what was the game plan? Yeah, the, I can tell you now that whole year before the season started, we knew that this was the team. Mm. We just, we just knew it was the way. Even people competed in practice, like competed hard, but we also made sure you know it wasn't like low blows or some of those uh, blindsided hits. It was just kind of like a, and it was the players. Like it wasn't the coach telling him not to do it. It was the players. So uh, the way that Coach Pinkle led his team, he was more like a GM, you know, and uh, let the coaching staff coach, but also let the players lead the team. And that year it was uh, just very like uh, players are just like, look, like we have healthy people. Let's keep it that way because the year before we knew we had the talent everybody was just hurt so after going through that season it's like we need to make sure we make it to the season we do that we know we can be special and then i think really through the first game the first two drives were a little shaky i don't remember the exact team we were playing uh maybe western illinois or something like that i can't remember exactly murray state maybe uh yeah was it Murray State? Murray State was the next season, I think. Uh, uh, no, you got it. Murray State. Was. Murray State. Okay, yeah, Murray State. Okay, so that it took us maybe two drives to like, okay, calm down, and then it's like, look, we know how good we are. Mm-hmm. We really, really do, and uh, everybody knew it. And so we just kind of turned it up from there, and we made sure each week, literally every practice, it was, we have to just be better than we were yesterday. And that was the true mentality. It was like, if we won by 30, it didn't matter. We didn't look at necessarily that piece. It was a lot, a lot of the team actually studied the 
the, the real stat lines that make the difference in a game. You know, what was our third down conversion rate? What, what and I mean, how many turnovers did we force? Um, just kind of like, you know, as far as down and distance, like what positions were we putting ourselves in the most? And uh, red zone, like how did we convert in the red zone? Were there any and players in particular that were like spearheading that? I mean, I, I imagine James Franklin was probably one of the leaders or I don't know, help help me out. He, he was, but I mean, this is this was the beautiful thing about that team, man. It was so many people on the same accord like going through the same things that I'm talking about. It was like, look, as an offense, we're practicing. I mean, O-line is talking about it. Hey, let's run this play back, repeat, or we call it shotgun, whatever, like, let's do it again. Um, and it was just, everybody was wanted to be better. Okay, like we, we see, we knew how good we were. It was like, if we can actually be better than what we were last week, it's gonna be crazy come the end of the season. Uh, so to get, sorry, long-winded answer. No, I like it. It's great. To get to the point of the Florida game, when Maddie came in, it was like, Maddie, all you have to do is just hike the ball. Just hike it. You know, at that point, if you hand it off, there's people who know what to do with it. Yeah. If you throw it, you have, honestly, eight people in the room that can catch the ball and make a play. We actually had more than that, but eight people, eight to 10 receivers were playing. We had about 14, 15 in the room. Uh, and all all those guys that were in that room could play, could play ball, not yeah. gonna lie. That makes a lot uh, of at sense. Least, at least 10, 10 of the guys could go start somewhere else on another SEC team. Yeah. Yeah, from a fan's perspective, I remember thinking, being a little nervous, just with a new quarterback coming in and, and with the stakes being so high, like the clearly this team was had something special going and I just remember being so happy whenever you you guys came out aggressive and and uh, scored in two plays. That was pretty amazing. But yeah. fun yeah. game. Nobody, no one, no one thought twice. It was just like, look, hey, Maddie, you're in. Like this is what it is. Next man up. This this is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Next man up. Let's go. Okay, so back it up one week to the Georgia game. Um, mm-hmm. That's obviously like probably the that and maybe like the texas a&m win at the end of the season are like the two marquee wins probably from that season in my opinion um when james franklin went down and okay so specifically we need to talk about the trick play the um double pass uh mm-hmm. what's it called colt 45 yes yeah, um 45. Is that something that you guys had in your bag of plays that you knew you could go to like in a pivotal moment? Is that something that you had practiced specifically for the Georgia game? Or is it, was that? We we practiced that play since the summertime. And it was just always like a, just a play that we never knew we were gonna use. Maybe it was gonna be like a bowl game trick play, but we practiced it every week, like every week. Yeah. and I can't remember if it was every practice, but I know for a fact it was every week we practiced that play. So it was plenty of practices that we just did that play. Are you getting some butterflies when that play is called in? Are you thinking like, okay, now I really gotta, this is, this is my play to really like make something happen here? To be honest, no, because it was like, we practiced it so many times. It wasn't even like a, it wasn't a second thought. Coach Hill was in the huddle. He's getting the message from upstairs from uh, Coach Henson uh, at that time. Uh, and it was like, 
who are both out there in the world doing great things, uh, coaching in that A&M, the Chiefs and everything. So um, it was just a call and it was like, hey, bud, are you ready to throw? Like, yeah, <laughs> I've been waiting to throw. I've been waiting to throw that ball like for <laughs> all year long. I was just like, when are we actually going to run the play? And it never really made sense to actually run it. So at this point, when as soon as he said it, everybody's like, yeah, this is it. Let's go. Because we, again, we've practiced it so many times. It's like, finally, we get to actually run the play. It's nearly a 50-yard touchdown pass. I mean, yeah. you threw a perfect ball. Yeah, man. They'll talk about, you know, the, the spin on it. It wasn't, it wasn't too tight. <laughs> but, uh, you know, hey, it, it got the job done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, obviously, you guys ended up losing to South Carolina that season in a heartbreaker. But on the whole season – that South Carolina game didn't really like loom that large as far as like the standings and everything. You guys still won the East. Um, that was an awesome game. Uh, I was there. I was um, at Fro Field that day and, or that night. And when Henry Josie like broke that run to kind of seal the deal, uh, obviously that's like a an amazing Mizzou football memory. And then the fans stormed the field and everything. So that south carolina game didn't stop you guys from playing for you know the biggest playing on the biggest stages in college football um was it known by the team was anybody talking about the fact that if you could knock off auburn you'd be in the national championship game yes i mean but we tried not to talk too much about it because we really didn't know yeah at the time like how that new college football playoff setup was going to be um but we had everybody was kind of thinking it like at least at least try to put yourself in the best position mm -hmm. um, because you just never know. We're an SEC team; it's hard to expect us just to not be in it, you know. If if we were to come out of this game, and uh, not at that point, it wasn't if we were to come out of this game. It's like, hey, let's go win this game. Yeah. We're nine times out of ten playing for a national championship. Mm -hmm. But we also that year we didn't think too far ahead we really did focus on the Auburn game mm -hmm. um transitioning then to 2014 so then um obviously you lost some key starters on offense um the biggest of which was probably Doriel because he was going to be you know the de facto number one wide receiver uh going into 2014 um how did his departure affect just like the wide receiver room and how uh, did you just kind of feel like, okay, now I got to step up and be the number one guy. <laughs> oh man, this is always a great topic. It's uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I've never looked at myself as some, someone's, you know, second team guy. Um, and that was, that's just me. Yeah. And I, I laugh at this because uh, this was, I don't know if you can go back to right before the season started. I mean, the the reporter, media staff, whatever, asked me the same question, just mm -hmm. about like, you know, hey, the the last year's you know receiving core that had all the yards and touchdowns are now gone. Are you guys worried that you won't be able to step into their shoes? And it's like, no, <laughs> not at all. Uh, and this is, again, no shade, Doriel's a hell of a talent. Um, but I knew what I had and I knew what I brought to the table. And I knew that what 
you guys have me on here for now, mm -hmm. I already knew I had that. I just hadn't had the chance to display it. So I've just been waiting my turn, waiting my turn, waiting my turn. And uh, also to anybody listening, any recruits or players now, wait it out. Like, you know, bite the bullet. Sometimes you, you're not playing that first year or that second year and you're getting a little bit of it that third year. That was that whole process of not being able to like be the starter like I knew I could have been and probably should have been. But that taught me patience and the ability to persevere, the ability to uh, really take advantage of my moments. Um, because it's, you know, that, that, that whole process really just lit a fire under me because I just felt like there was no way I should be on this sideline, but I am. So to, to answer your question, it was, it, we weren't worried at all. I wasn't worried. I knew that if there was anywhere close to the same amount of football being thrown in the air, I would most likely bring more of them down and I would probably have more yards. Mm -hmm. And I did. And touchdowns. Yeah. No, I think you, uh, you in particular, I think surprised some people that season. Obviously, uh, you you didn't surprise yourself, but uh, 77 receptions for 1,003 yards and 12 touchdowns. Um, that was uh, tops across for the team, uh, every category. You were the number one wide receiver, obviously. And so you yeah. definitely showed up and produced uh, for that season. And it was so fun to watch. And I mean, I think there was even, I think that's definitely a fan perspective that doesn't get, that, that hopefully the players don't have, you know, and obviously you didn't. And that's why you were able to be so successful. If you have players that are like, oh no, what are we gonna do now? Like, oh, I have to step up? Then that's just not gonna work out. Yeah, you're probably gonna lose. Yeah. <laughs> probably gonna, or not, I wish not just say lose, but you know, that person who's saying that, like, right. oh, I mean, I guess, I guess it has to be me, you know, you're gonna do terrible. Right, right. And uh, the thing is just, you know, especially at that point, it, it's it's in you. I, I like to see, because I don't, you know, I haven't seen it be done any other way. Yeah. The people that I've seen that have gone out there and performed when it's time for them to perform, it's in them mm -hmm. and you know it, it can't be something that someone just does the hoorah speech to you and then you go out and do it you don't have you don't need that and um it's it's those who i know you know the marcus murphy's of the world the marcus goldens the shane rays the ej Gaines, uh the henry Josies. henry Josie could turn that thing on like like it's nothing yeah. And then just go back to just hanging out and chilling with you and just, you know, laughing it up. And uh, But there are just some guys who had that type of switch that is just in them. And there's there's nothing you can do about it, really. You just got to, you know, try to compete and do your best to, you know, just be on the field with them. It seems like you guys had a whole lot of them on those two back-to-back SEC -back, uh, East champion seasons. Yes. 100% Coney Ely as well. I don't want to leave anybody out, but my <laughs> goodness, it, we really did have a lot of players who also played their role. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, like even if they weren't the, the guy that's going to go to the NFL, 
we had a lot of guys on that team, 2013 especially, who knew the next level is not for them. However, this is their last shot. And they played in practice like they were going to the NFL. Mm -hmm. And because the guys who work that was there last year and that are probably leaving and getting drafted and all that stuff, it was the level of competition was too high for if you wanted to actually play a down in a game, you were going to have to compete every day to get any sort of playing time. And so that's how deep that team was. And we were able to stay healthy, fortunately, well, you know, unfortunately at the quarterback position at a point in time. But again, it was just next man up. So clearly there's a lot more than just talent that goes into a great team like that. And clearly there's a lot of mental toughness that I think those players that you guys showed and obviously that 2014 season didn't get started off on the on the in the greatest way with that loss to uh against indiana but i mean i feel like you guys showed a, a lot of grit and mental toughness kind of bouncing back from that loss and obviously going on to win the sec east that year but i mean what was it like i mean what was the the locker room like after that loss to be honest i think we just knew like there's there's really a formula to getting to the championship game you know win the east Mm. that's it and uh you know at least from and if, i don't know if it's changed but it's like out of the east teams if you are leading the east with competing against the other east teams you're going to be the one to go mm. so that indiana game hurt but that hurt ranking right yeah. that didn't hurt our chances and so it's like hey we can either whine about this loss against Indiana, or we can kind of step, luckily we experienced the South Carolina game the year before where that one wasn't East game. Right. So that we knew what it took to then like, Hey, we have to win really the next, I think it was like three or four games, but we also took it one week at a time. So that's what we did with Indiana. It's like, look, we need to get back on a nice streak. Uh, kind of get that ranking back uh, a little bit lower or higher, I guess. Um, and just take it week by week, work on getting better week by week. What did we do just piss poor in this game to lose to Indiana? And how can we, you know, avoid that moving forward? And uh, I think we, we did a, I think that year we did a decent job of it. We did a hell of a job defensively, yeah, but <laughs> offensively. You know, it, we, it was always a third and fourth quarter kind of finally turn up type thing for, for the offense. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, obviously, from a wide receiver's point of view, you played a lot of snaps with two different quarterbacks. Just from like a gameplay perspective, um, literally the person throwing you the ball being a different person, how different was it? Was it? catching passes from Franklin versus mock. <laughs> um, man, it, it was different. Uh, one, if you just look at not necessarily the trajectory of the ball, but just the spin on James Franklin ball and a Maddie mock ball, it, it's different. Mm -hmm. So that was the challenge. But uh, as far as just, and 
you know, they're different players. You know, Maddie was not a player who wanted to just, or QB who wanted to sit in the pocket and just toss the ball around. He wanted to throw downfield for sure, but he, you know, he's going to take off running. Right. And uh, so, which is fine because that was his playing style. And he wants to throw it on the run, sling it to the right, sling it to the left, throw it way back across field, whatever it may be. Um, but James was a little bit more kind of pre-snap. Not I know exactly where I'm going because this is what I have to do. It was we know what this defense is in, and we all had communication like signs as a receiving core and running back core to let him know what's actually happening if he didn't already mm-hmm. so pre-snap it's like hey they're dropping the cover three we already know this if we have the deep dropouts on the outside one of those guys are getting the ball because the cornerbacks are you know bailing out right it's an easy throw easy about 15 yards catch you know with maddie that wasn't necessarily the thought process doesn't mean one was better than the other it just means he's playing this game like he's all out having fun like I'm playing I'm ready to whatever happens in front of me I'm responding and I'm gonna make something happen and that's that that's a different you know way of like running your routes timing all those types of things so it's a little bit different yeah it seemed like that 2014 season you in particular made a lot of big plays by just like coming back to the ball or coming back just making yourself open to Maddie when he would kind of roll out or he would buy some time and you would just kind of float into this open spot and he would find you yeah I mean you, you kind of had to with Matt because that's just how he played and at the end of the day look we're we're all trying to make something happen we're trying to win the games and uh you know trying to get the ball too as a receiver like <laughs> To be honest, I'm, I'm trying to get this ball. So right. however you're throwing it, I can either just, you know, let it get deflected or whatever and complain about it, or I got to go make something happen. Kyle, I've got a uh, question about camp. If, if you have anything else about, like, those seasons in particular. Uh, go ahead. So uh, the football team right now is in uh, preseason camp uh, doing real practices we interviewed another former wide receiver cam chancy uh last year on the podcast and he uh told us a camp story about him just getting absolutely destroyed by sheldon richardson on one play (laughs) where they where you guys ran the same play twice in a row so the defense knew what was coming and then so he just got completely destroyed i was wondering if you had any fun uh camp memories or stories since that's what the football team is doing right now. Um, fun camp stories. Putting you on the spot. Probably not a lot of fun happening in camp. <laughs> yeah, was yeah. it even fun? Was it was it kind of miserable? I was just kind of thinking of, you know, there's one that I, I think that my teammates will really, it'll be, I mean, it might be something for, you know, LaDamian and Michael Sam to tell at practice. It was such a funny moment for us as a team. It was serious for them, but funny for us. Um, but I, like, because that's your you putting me on the spot. But another <laughs> one would have to be, um, man, it, I don't know. It, like, we had so many good moments. But without like saying too much, I guess it's just 
we we did we we had a lot of good moments and camp it's it's just a grind and it's funny moments when people are ready to quit and you know they don't but they're, they're ready to quit or they they talk about quitting all this stuff just all the emotions coming out being pissed off and yeah but they just keep going i don't know man there, there's a there's just too many there's too many that you're just trying like i'm just thinking about just practice in general and there could be just a funny conversation between coach and player that pops in my mind um any fights on the team like any like anything that happened it was just so many things like were just funny Mm -hmm. in hindsight and uh, (laughs) a lot of it that that the people I'm talking like great friends today brotherhood still it was just funny moments you know in the heat of the moment it's all tense but two minutes afterwards it's everyone's laughing about it so Speaking of, uh, yeah, I don't have the exact one. Sorry, that's okay. I don't need you to throw anybody under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Cam Chancy, he he actually mentioned the exact same thing that you said about Gary Pinkle, with him kind of taking the CEO approach uh, and let, letting the position coaches and the players kind of uh, run practice or or whatever it is. But uh, what was yeah. it like playing for Gary Pinkle? Obviously, he's kind of a Mizzou legend, and um, you know you had the the opportunity to get to play for him. What was that like? I mean, at the end of the day, it was, uh, you know, he, he was a guy that just gave people the opportunity, such as his coaching staff, to coach. And, you know, he, he didn't need to know what I what my exact route was going to be. Because in his mind, I don't know if it was in his mind, but from my perspective, he's expecting you to know what you're supposed to have to do. And he's expecting your coaches to know that, do you know what he's supposed to be doing? Is he doing it correct? If not, let's correct it. And, it, and you know, that's very, on a small scale, mm-hmm. on a grand scheme of things, he's watching everything. So he does know, but he's also putting it on his staff to correct things. And what I really loved about it was the you know, the seniors are kind of the, you know, the leadership of the team. And to see a senior group step up and truly lead a lead a team, um, I think that that's special. And I got the chance to see that in 2013 for the first time when it wasn't just two or three seniors. It mm-hmm. wasn't just four seniors. It was, if we had 30 seniors, you know, 27 of them were doing the best that they absolutely could to make that team as best as we could possibly be. And I, I credit that to the way that he approached leadership on for football teams. And, uh, and it wasn't always just seniors. Like, you know, of course you got your younger guys who are stepping in there from time to time to try to lead, but really putting that weight on the senior group, it, it just makes it a little bit more special because you, you feel like you're almost doing it for the seniors. And there's so many of those guys who really won't play another down. Um, and just to make those moments special, it's like, uh, it, it's pretty neat, so. That's awesome. Um, speaking of playing another down, you 
got drafted by the St. Louis Rams in the sixth round. And um, of course, Kyle and I remember that happening because we pay attention to every Mizzou player that even might be drafted every um, NFL draft. So um, just what was that like? And then obviously you had a super unique situation where you actually weren't able to play for him because of uh, an underlying health issue that, correct me if I'm wrong, but you didn't even know about until it was discovered during that process, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's, it's funny because moving around, I'll tell you the first part actually first is this, the experience of being drafted. Um, it was pretty neat to get the phone call and to know what is actually on the other line of the phone call. You know, I've watched it my whole life. You just never know what the actual conversation is. Um, and you know, it was less need on there just chopping it up with me for a quick minute, just uh, asking me how I was doing and just, you know, no, matter of fact, the first call, I'll tell you that, the first call was actually Ray Sherman, who was the receiver coach for the St. Louis Rams at the time. And he called me and I heard this call a couple of times that day on that third third day of the draft. It was, hey, we want you, we don't know if we can get you in the sixth round though. You know, we're, we're trying to get it figured out. We may run out of draft picks or whatever, but People were pushing for me, so I didn't so know that. So a couple other teams had talked, had said that to you? Yeah, I had calls second day, third day, um, just about like, hey, we're, we're trying to get this figured out, and, you know, you're one of our top receivers on our board. But, you know, in, re- in reality, if you look at some of these teams' boards, some of them are not looking to draft a receiver yet. Like, you know, it, that's just what it is. Right. And so for, for you to really be on somebody's board and they're calling you, it, it's a great thing, you know, it's a, it's a great feeling. So um, after that, it was, took maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes, I get a call again, and it's Les Snead with the Rams, and uh, it's the Rams GM, or uh, not you guys, but your listeners. Um, and he was just, you know, asking me, you know, how I was doing, was I watching the TV, was I watching the draft? Um, and he's like, hey, you know, we're going to text, we're going to take you with our next pick um, here in the sixth round. I was like, all right, great. He's like, uh, you know, basically, are you ready to work and excited about being a Ram? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he's like, all right, well, come, come ready to work. And, uh, you know, then he put me on the phone with Jeff Fisher, got a chance to talk with him a quick minute and um, kind of similar conversation. And, and then that was it, man. You hang up the phone and two or three picks later, you know, St. Louis Rams pick it then, then it's me. So it's, you know, it's like, man, it's crazy. Uh, so it was, that was a amazing moment. I got to experience with my family and uh, you know, it, it was just a cool, it was a great, great time, great time. But to the unique situation, what I was bringing up was, um, as we were moving here, like I, I still have all my, my documents and stuff like that of just different reports. And it's it's always unique, man, how life works because, you know, I can go through all of these things and it can tell you like, whether it's low risk or this, you know, this man is qualified to play or all of these different doctors kind of saying yes, 
and what you hear on the TV mm. and what you see like that comes out all over social media and just kind of blasted across the country. That part sucks. So it's like, <laughs> you know, you're kind of labeled that. Right. But in reality, here's what's actually going on behind the scenes. And then it became just a, yeah, don't just don't go there with that player. Just so it just kind of they saw the team saw it as like a just a liability thing for them. That's it. Yeah, it was a it became a legal issue. And, you know, for, for those who <laughs> that's the business of sport. And so that's, yeah, that, that's kind of how that situation happened. I just got the short end of the stick. I was told I was I was getting the short end of the stick. And, uh, you know, I just got to live with it. So, and we, we got to play basketball with you here in Springfield because of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So that, that's kind of how it panned out. Yeah. Well, the Rams actually then hired you as their external football affairs coordinator after that. Uh-huh. How, how was that? What was uh, going into that role? Um, you know, at that time, I'm glad I experienced it because I needed to actually learn what it was like to be in that type of setting. Because to be honest, I had worked before, but, you know, like high school job, you know, like a subway job or worked in a good year tire shop, like just. I had never worked in an office space, office setting. Uh, so learning just office etiquette, just all of these different things, uh, you know, that one, it made me grow really, really fast. Um, I clearly was not prepared to be in that setting, um, but it taught me so much about myself. It taught me about just, you know, how how those things operate in the front office, um, just what people are really looking for, how people thrive in those spaces, and how people fall to the wayside, you know, in those spaces as well. So, uh, shout out to Kyle's Everger, Kyle Eversgird, who uh, you know helped me develop in that in that position. Um, you know, he he stayed patient with me because he understood, you know, just kind of some of the things I was going through, uh, you know, at that point it was very difficult for Mm -hmm. me just because, you know, I'm, I'm going to work, but the music and the bass is blasting from right below me and it's in the weight room and the team's in there just doing their thing. And I'm typing at my desk, like writing to no offense to the high school coaches, but I was writing to the high school coaches about, you know, some things that we're going to give away. And at the time, you know, it's just, it wasn't where I wanted to be yeah. mentally or physically. So, um, you know, yeah, it was just tough. I didn't want to go to the practices or <laughs> nothing, man. So, um, but, but the cool thing that I was doing honestly was, was going out to these games and being able to speak to high school students and encourage them, uh, hand out checks with, uh, play, play, uh, play 60, and just being able to, you know, provide uh, kind of a ambassador-esque role for the Rams, um, even at the football games. At halftime, if, I'm not sure if y'all were at the games, but there would be like the youth league playing at halftime. Like, sure. yeah. I was kind of running the games out there at halftime, which was, you know, great, because at the end of the day, with everything that was happening to me, I also got to see these kids like 
just loved the fact that they were playing at the Dome, you know, in front of the thousands of fans who, even if the game was only 10 minutes, but, like, they just loved it. And just to see them play and fans start cheering for a, a kid, you know, turning the corner and going for 20 yards, like, that was, that was a great feeling just to be able to, you know, be there to support them in that. And um, so I did learn a lot and I did uh, have a chance to really experience what it was like to see the business side of sports, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, uh, you haven't stopped uh, giving back to the community. You've got the Sasser Nation Foundation. Um, you want to tell us and our listeners, of course, kind of what you got, what you've been doing with that and how that came about and uh, what you're, what you're all about there. Yeah, hundred percent. So um, I always knew I wanted to give back. Um, it was something that I've, I've done. I did it while I was in school. Uh, it wasn't, you know, like a financial type of giving back, but uh, you know, I would go do community service, did the big brother, big sister program. Um, things like that. So once this time came, I just wanted to do some of the things that I went through as a kid. So, you know, I gave backpacks and school supplies and haircuts and partnered with barbershops there and back in my hometown in Denton, Texas. Um, the reason being because I was in the line to get the supplies and I knew that, hey, with my name and at that time, the NFL brand behind me, like, I can bring these supplies, I can bring the funding or whatever it may be to the community to get them, you know, the things that they need to start school off and uh, feel good about having what they need in order to start, you know, that that new school year. Um, And then from there, it kind of just grew. It was just like, you know, I want to be able to get back to um, some of the high school seniors who were heading off to college and it's interesting that you brought up Cam Chancey because he's he was a part of the reason why I thought of things like this. And he doesn't even know this. Um, but him, uh, Eric Laurent, um, and a few other guys that were on our squad that were walk-on guys. And to see them come out with a good attitude every day, um, and truly just compete, uh, have fun, but also were just taking the damage, but also not like they weren't playing on Saturdays at that time. So to see them still want to go through all of that and have to pay for school and have to pay to basically be out there, that I just appreciated it. And when it made me think about where I felt like I could make the biggest impact, it was, you know, those high school students who didn't have a full ride like I did. Um, Like, man, that's a lot of money for one that you're going to have to be paying and who knows what you're going to want to participate in or enjoy in college. But if you're, uh, you know, shackled down by, you know, lack of funds, you don't really get to enjoy your college experience. So I just wanted to start, you know, basically giving or granting scholarships to high school seniors and didn't ISD so that, you know, I can help in any way possible, really just 
financially just to help them, you know, get an opportunity that maybe they wouldn't have had without the scholarship. So that's, that's kind of what I've been doing since 2017. Um, and to be able to see, honestly, my, even my first graduate back in May, uh, Jacqueline Willis, uh, graduated from Spelman College, to be able to see that, like, at that point in time, like, happen, like, it's amazing, man. And it's just like, you know, that it's with everything with sport, like, that it doesn't even amount to how you can truly change somebody's trajectory. And not saying that it was all me by any means, but that's why I keep trying to do it because I want to grow it and hopefully one day be able to give someone a full ride to college just from my foundation. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, that's, that means a lot to me because I want someone to be able to get out there and just enjoy college and what it can do for you like it did for me. It's so great to hear about the difference you're making in so many people's lives. And you, you earned the, uh, the Denton's Juneteenth Hometown Hero Award as well uh, for your mm-hmm. contributions. And uh, I was just wondering if, if there was a place where Mizzou fans could help donate to support your cause or if there's any anywhere that uh, if Mizzou fans are wanting to help out with that, is there something they can do? Yeah, so you can actually go to uh, assassination.com and uh, right on the, the home page, you'll see the main link that just says donate here. It's green for the for the money, it's green <laughs> for the money. But um, it is, but honestly, and there's also like a donate button right up on the, the top right, I believe. Uh, so it's, it's just an option, you know, for you to go there or you can make the checkout to Assassination Foundation. Uh, address is in the website as well so uh, it's just man or just hit me up on social media I'll be happy to send you directly there or send you a link if not if it's not provided in the you know the description below of this video it'll be there uh, all right good deal <laughs> so uh, but yeah just let me know and uh, but there's plenty of ways you can message on assassination foundation Facebook, Instagram, my Instagram, or my Facebook, my Twitter, you name it. So all types of ways. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, get the word out on that. Um, Before we let you go, was there anything when you were thinking about coming on the show that you thought, oh, there's this one thing that maybe they'll ask about that I would just love to talk about from your Mizzou playing days or just anything interesting that you that we didn't touch on that you maybe were hoping we would have? No, I was actually pretty interested in what you guys would ask me, you know, <laughs> cause I, I, sometimes I like to ask what I'm going to like be asked. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is rare that I do that actually, but I'm always curious of what I'm going to be asked. So uh, this time I, yeah, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if y'all were going to drill me with some recruiting questions or <laughs> what's currently on staff now or anything like that. So a little unclear, but uh, yeah, man, I think, you know, you guys are doing a a great job. Um, Conversations are great. You know, just seems like y'all are right at home, you know, (laughs) just kind of doing the, just, just friends, just doing a, you know, a a show and and it's, it's genuine. And uh, so it's that, that makes it, makes it pretty good. That's what we're going for. Well, it uh, it really seems like, uh, you know, obviously 
the way you talk about everything, you've got such a good attitude in everything that you've got going on, even going back to playing days and continuing to be involved and help people. So uh, thank you so much for coming on the show with us. We really appreciate it. I really think our listeners and viewers are going to love it. Hey, I appreciate it as well. And uh, make sure you guys actually follow me on Twitter, man. These next three years, I'm actually attending the University of Missouri Law School. So I will be uh, putting some information out there about like NIL and just some of the legal side of sports um, and just uh, sports and entertainment and things like that. So I do want to keep people updated in that in that respect. Uh, so just to have another avenue to hear about sports, follow me there on Twitter. That's at Bud Sasser 21 on Twitter, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. We'll, we'll send people your way. Well, uh, yeah. thanks for coming on with us. We really appreciate it. Of course, man. Thank you all so much. Uh-huh. All right. That was our interview with Bud Sasser. Very fun. Um, I had a smile on my face the entire time when he started, when he was talking about the 2013 and 2014 teams, like that's just such a classic time in recent years for Mizzou football. Just so fun. I could talk about those two seasons for like three more hours. I could go game by game and not get tired of it. So I'm glad he indulged us there, gave us some inside info on some stuff that was interesting. Um, I liked hearing him talk about Matty Mock and James Franklin, two of the some of the best Mizzou quarterbacks we've had in a long time. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised whenever he was talking about the Colt 45 play and uh, how he was just, uh, he just knew what he needed to do. Ready you know? to go. He wasn't, he wasn't, uh, I think I'd be deer in the headlights like, uh, you want me <laughs> to throw this ball 50 yards to the end zone? Uh, but he was just in it, man. He was, he was ready to, to go to battle. And I just, I, I love that his mentality and just the way he approaches the game and it, he's an impressive guy. Yeah. That was my takeaway from the whole thing was like, you know, you don't always realize these guys are elite athletes and elite competitors and they have that just like competitive drive and he talked about how many guys on those incredible mizzou squads had that just like they all felt like they were the number one guy but at the same time they were all willing to sacrifice for the betterment of the team Mm -hmm. and that's just you can only hope to have more than a few guys like that i feel like yeah and that's would, what's going to make a season special i would assume that is rare yeah that everybody knows their role but also uh has that mentality of i'm number one at yeah. the same time yeah well that was awesome hopefully uh everybody enjoyed that um hopefully that'll maybe that'll get the ball rolling on some more interviews but <laughs> i mean i feel like i could interview bud uh three more times and not uh, get tired of it yeah he was great I think that's it for this week. I think that's it. All right. All right, everybody. I forgot I had a job to do. <laughs> I was like, all right. like this, um, All right. You can listen to this podcast on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. We're on Twitter at Mizzou Sports Pod, and you can email us at MissouriSportsPod at gmail.com. You can find our T-shirts and stickers on our online shop, MissouriSportsPod.BigCartel.com. Also, fantasy football. Coming right up. Deadlines August 31st. Correct. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters at the $10 level and above Brian Smith, Ryan Lee, Cooper, Tristan, and Ben Smith. Thank you guys so much. We will see you next week.